0: Last week, um, we were finishing up looking at Noah, and this week we are transitioning uh, from Noah, and I'm skipping chapter 10. Chapter 10 actually chronologically follows chapter 11, um, and there's some reasons why it was written that way and all of that, and I'm not going to get into that. But in summary, chapter 10 tells us what I briefly summarized for you last week. And that is um, about the three sons of Noah. Um, There was Japheth, uh, who became the father of the Japhethites, uh, the father of the Gentile nations that basically were, you know, somewhat receptive to the gospel. Um, So that would, you know, be those Gentile nations which would incorporate us, that part of the world that has been somewhat receptive to the gospel. Then there's Ham, and Ham was the one that uh, got in trouble, and, uh, and Noah cursed him for the way he had uh, conducted himself. And Ham became the father of the Hamites, uh, who became the father of the Canaanites, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Ninevites, the Egyptians, and all of that group of people. And if you were to look at where most of those people are, they today would fit in the window of the the ten forty window um, in the world is the next screen um, you can see that kind of rectangular there, and so that's the ten forty window, what they call it and it's it's basically an area of the world that is very gospel resistant um it's It's between ten and forty degrees north of the equator. Um, extending from Northwest Africa and all the way across Asia and all of that. And, and that is probably the most unreached part of our world today. And so that's kind of where the Hamites um, ended up at. And that is still a part of the world that we are trying to reach for Christ today. And, and it's, it's one of those last major hurdles in reaching the world for Christ. And so um, and we, we send missionaries out. Uh, But we can't even uh, have them, you know, do emails or do a lot of things that other missionaries can do in terms of identifying where they're going and what they're doing when they get there because they could be arrested and killed um, in a lot of the places they've gone to. And so um, just when you're praying for missionaries, you know, occasionally you ought to pray especially hard for 1040 missionaries. Those missionaries that are going to those places of the world um, where are, there is outright persecution of Christians and especially of those who are trying to lead others to become Christians. And then there's Shem. And Shem becomes the father of the Semites, who is the father of the line of Abraham and the Israelites. And so that's part of the reason when you get to chapter 11... There is this focus then on Shem and the Shemites because the rest of the Old Testament is about that line. It's about Abraham and it's about the Israelites. And so in chapter 11, you go from chapter 10 where he describes all three lines. And then you come to chapter 11 and the focus is on Shem and the line of Abraham and the Israelites. We're not going to read all of chapter 11, and especially those verses that relate to Shem, but there's just a couple of things I want to point out to you before we go back to the beginning of chapter 11 and look at the Tower of Babel. Number one, there's about 1,948 years between Adam and Abraham, and then somewhere around 400 years between Noah and Abraham. And so that just kind of gives you a a frame of of time. And then one of the interesting things that happens in this genealogy that is presented in chapter 11 is that every genealogy that you find in the Bible, quite often there's something a little bit unique about it. But this is one of the more unique ones in that um, it's very similar to the one you find back in Genesis chapter 5. But in Genesis chapter 5, after the life of every person, it says, "And then they died." <laughs> this one doesn't do that, but this one does something that is really unique, and in this genealogy, it tells us the age of when men had their first child. Which, you know, you know, Abraham was a hundred. And all of that. But then it it goes down. And and pretty much throughout this genealogy, men start having the children, through their wives, of course, um, when they are about the age of 30. And um, so anyway, that's one of those interesting things. But the other interesting thing is it is during this time period between Noah and Abraham that our lifespan got reduced. Abraham lives, uh, or Noah lives, um, for 950 years. And at the end of this genealogy, Nahor, Abraham's brother, uh, only lives 148 years. And so you see that, um, um, that change happening during that time in biblical history. Now, back to what I really want to share with you this morning, and that is on the Tower of Babel. And uh, I want to just read that passage for us. Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone. And tar for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens, so that we may make a name for ourselves, otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. And from there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Let's pray. Father God, as we approach your word this morning, we recognize it to be the living word. We recognize it to be the inspired word of God. We recognize it, Father, as having ability to transform And change our lives. And we just come this morning and we would invite you to use your word in each one of us. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to create a hunger in us for the word of God. I pray, Lord, that you would make us receptive to hearing it. And that it would produce fruit within us a hundredfold. And I pray, Father, that you would help each one of us, day by day, to become doers of the Word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Noah comes off the ark. And when he comes off the ark, God gives him a command. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Well, Noah and his descendants have been doing a pretty good job on part of that. They have been fruitful and they have multiplied, but that's it. About 100 to 150 years have passed since Noah's life and the population of the earth now we think is about 30,000 people, the population of Aberdeen. So they've been fruitful, eight people to 30,000. But they have not filled the earth. They have wanted to stay together, stay in one place. And God's creation, mankind, we are pretty remarkable creatures that God has made. We are made in the image of God. And so with one language and a common speech and all these things in common, they're really, it's amazing the things that you and I can accomplish together. So these people planned. And they thought, man, God has instructed this, but that's not really what we want to do. And so they put all of their energies into doing something else rather than going out and filling the earth. They wanted to huddle together and cluster in this this big, wonderful city. (laughs) That's what they wanted. So they planned to build a city and they planned to build a great tower with bricks and tar and all of that. So man was disobedient to God. Notice they had four goals. Number one, they wanted to build a city so that they could stay together. These people are living in the Fertile Crescent, what is known as the Fertile Crescent. It is a plain that is watered by two rivers, the Tigris River and the Euphrates River. It is very fertile, good soil. It's a wonderful place on earth to live. And they wanted to stay right there. It had everything they wanted. And they just thought, if we can just keep all these people and keep fruitful and keep multiplying and stay right here, this will be the best thing for us. And so they are about to build a city. But secondly, just building a city wasn't enough. They wanted to build a tower. They wanted to make a name for themselves. They wanted, they wanted to, um, you know, make sure that everyone knew how great they were. The tower represents their independence from God, and it may have also, in, um, it may have also represented an interest in astrology. You'll notice that it reaches to the heavens. And so they were, they were kind of interested in all of that, and they were beginning to replace their love for God with this love for astrology and, and all of that. You will remember that astrology originated in ancient Babylon. and Babel is another name for Babylon. And so they had replaced God as their tower of strength with a tower that they had built with their hands. The third goal was that they wanted to make a name for themselves. And this represented arrogance and pride. When we want to make a name for ourselves, we are no longer really interested in making known the name of God. Or trusting God to make our name great. It's interesting that on the heels of the Tower of Babylon. Comes the story of Abraham in chapter 12. And what happens in chapter 12. We'll get to that in a couple of weeks. But um, in chapter 12. God comes down and calls Abraham. Abram. And he says to him. I am. I'm going to make your name great. It wasn't Abraham wanting to make a name for himself. It was God saying, I will make your name great. The question is who do you trust? Do you really trust in your ability to make yourself popular? To make yourself stand out? Or do you trust in God to do that for you? Power, money, fame, friends, all of those things can make us think that we don't need God. And we begin to think that we can make a name for ourselves. And then the fourth goal that they had was that they wanted to keep from being dispersed over all the earth. So not only did they want to cluster, they wanted to make sure they didn't go out. They did not want to fill the earth like God had commanded Noah. So you'll see two actions and two motivations in, in this list. Number one, build a city. And the reason for the city is so we can all stay right here together and not go out. So one and four are connected. The second action is to build a tower. And why do you build a tower? Because you want to draw attention to yourself. They wanted to make a name for themselves. And they wanted everyone to look at that and say, look at what those people from Babel built. Well, every generation builds its own towers. There's Chicago that has the Sears Tower, and there's London with the Bing, Big Ben Clock Tower. There's London with the uh, or, or New York with the Trump Tower. There's Paris with the Eiffel Tower. There's Pisa with the Learning Tower Pisa in Italy. And then, you know, all of a lot of the old churches, they all had bell towers, Our old Wesleyan church here, Wesleyan Methodist Church, had a bell tower in it. My first church that I pastored had a bell tower, and I was actually, my my office in that church was up in the bell tower right underneath the bell. (laughs) So I always climbed the steps up to get to my little office up there where had windows facing the south, and that was a really hot, hot office during the summer. That's what I remember about my office there, underneath the bell in the bell tower. But, you know... We, we kind of like building towers, and nothing wrong with those towers unless we build our towers in defiance of God's will for our life. Daniel Burnham was a famous American architect who laid out the plans for the modern city of Chicago. And he did that way over 100 years ago. He died in 1912. But much of Chicago today is the vision that he had way over 100 years ago. So he was a really big thinker, big dreamer, big planner. That he was able to do something over 100 years ago that is being laid out and fulfilled today. He is also today considered the father of the skyscraper. So you go to Chicago, and the lakefront, with all of its green space, the bike trails, the beaches, they all reflect his vision, but he was also the one that planned the Sears Tower and made sure that the Sears Tower was the thing that, from any angle in Chicago, your eyes were drawn to it. That was kind of his thinking. He had two famous sentences that he's known for. He says, make no small plans. They have no power to stir men's blood. <laughs> so he, that was his mission and motto in life. So make no small plans. That's the reason Sears Tower dominates the landscape from every angle you look at in Chicago. Well, Daniel Burnham would be quite pleased, I think probably with himself a century later, at what Chicago has become. Apart from all the stuff that you and I know about. <laughs> and the crime and all of that kind of stuff. But he also would have, I think, loved the Tower of Babel with the intent of it reaching up to the heavens. I want to say there is nothing, again, there is nothing wrong with big dreams and big aspirations and big plans and big projects. As long as they are not flying contrary to the known will of God And the known will of God for the people, the descendants of Noah, was to be fruitful, to multiply, and fill the earth. Something interesting happens in chapter in verse 5. It says the Lord came down to see the city and the tower. Now why does it say it like that? Cannot God see from heaven a city and a tower? It says it like that because God is making fun of the city and the tower. He says, that thing is so small I can't even see it from up here. (laughs) And God is wanting to mock All of our human efforts that we think are so grand and so glorious and so wonderful. Look at what Adrian Timmons can do. And God comes down from heaven and says, well, I can't see it from up there. (laughs) And he just wants to remind us that we are not God. And we can't build any towers that reach to the heavens. And all of that. Nonetheless. God comes down. And he puts a stop to the tower building program. Because he said. These people will think they can do anything. And not surrender themselves. To my sovereign purpose. In their life. So how does he go about doing that? Well first of all. He confuses their languages. You know, the pipe fitters couldn't talk to the electricians who couldn't understand the truck drivers who, who didn't have a clue what the bricklayers and the carpenters were saying. They were all talking gibberish to each other. Some of you have had those circumstances where you, you know, you're speaking English to someone that speaks English. Sometimes that happens in your home between spouse and spouse. You're both talking the same language, but you don't you're not communicating at all or you're miscommunicating a lot. <laughs> There's a lot of times I just miss a lot of the clues I'm supposed to pick up on. <laughs> and vice versa. Even, even when we all speak the same language and the same dialect and all of that, we have a little bit of confusion problems. But here everyone was talking gibberish. I'm sure none of you have ever been annoyed when you call customer service and you talk to someone from India who thinks they are speaking English. And you're not getting a word of it. And especially when your hearing starts to go bad, you, you have a hard time deciphering things anyway. Sometimes you and I have trouble even understanding people from Boston or the deep south. But here in Babel, there was absolute confusion because it was not only just differences in dialects and all of that. It was differences in complete languages that were being spoken. And so the unfinished city was called Babel. (laughs) Confusion city. You've heard the term, this person was just babbling on. (laughs) For you, it was no more than just confusion that didn't make any difference. And Babel reminds us of Psalm 127 verse 1 that says, unless the Lord build the house, they labor in vain who build it. So what does God use all these different languages for? Well, well, First of all, he used it to um, diminish our ability to accomplish what we might consider to be grandiose and great things when we have all these differences. There are times that Priscilla and I could be a whole lot more effective if we could communicate in English to each other better. But just think of all the things that we could do around the world if, We all spoke in one language. But get this for 2,000 years, God has also protected the church by all these diverse languages against a global anti Christian government. If we all spoke the same language, how much quicker would we come to the end times when there was a global government that became anti-Christian and the power that they would have to just sweep the earth. Persecution would not just be in that 1040 window and sprinkling other parts, but it would have started way back a lot sooner and it would have been a lot more potent and powerful. That day is coming, friends. But for 2,000 years, all these different languages, God used it to dampen and to protect the church so the church had more opportunity to witness. Secondly, God used these different languages to limit the powers of evil and darkness. The word Babel is used. The word that is used for Babel here is used over 200 times in in the Bible it almost always is translated Babylon. In this case, it's translated Babel. And so when you see this word Babel, and you see the Tower of Babel, you are to think of Babylon, and what Babylon represents and symbolizes in the Scriptures. And Babylon is the contrast to Jerusalem. Jerusalem in the Old Testament. Jerusalem, the holy city, uh, and the holy city in Revelation at the end times that rises up to meet God in heaven. Babylon is the city of the beast. Babylon represents all the evil and wickedness that is in our world. And so Revelation chapter 18, verse 5, and verse 7, and verse 19 demonstrates and and gives us a picture of the sins of Babylon heaped up to the heavens. And you see that connection there. The sins of Babylon have created their own tower just stacked on top of each other. All the wickedness and evil in the world that you and I know of, that we watch on the news day after day, all that weevil and all that wickedness is is heaped up in a tower all the way to heaven and God sees it. It goes on to talk about the sins of Babylon in Revelation being heaped up high to heaven spouting off in their luxury and their arrogance. And you know what? Babylon will eventually try to do? That one world currency and the one world language and all of that will become the power that they use for ultimate destruction of anything that goes against that worldly mindset. There's another thing that God uses this diversity of languages for and that is to challenge the church to challenge you and to challenge me to reach every tribe and every people group and every ethnic, to make disciples of all nations and cultures, baptizing them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And today, you and I, um, we, we live in very exciting times, In in the last hundred years, we have made more progress with the gospel than the 1,900 years before that. Because of all the technology that we have to translate the Bible into different, um, not only languages, but dialects and all of that kind of stuff. It's amazing what is happening in the mission field today. Partly, especially in, in Wycliffe and all the Bible translators and, and all of that kind of work. Just because of the technology that we have and the Jesus film. Being able to go in and, and show that to people and put the life of Jesus on, on the screen in all kinds of different languages. And all of a sudden, places that had you know, no knowledge of the gospel at all are hearing the gospel. And part of the reason God uses these different languages is to call the church to go out, to reach every tribe and people and make disciples of all nations. And then there is a another reason that God uses these different languages. Because at the end times, at the end of it, there's coming a day when Revelation says... great culminating events of earthly history is when God receives praise from multicultural languages and all of that and he hears people praising him and exalting him in all kinds of different languages and dialects and all of that from all different cultures Around the world. It's going to be. A wonderful. Wonderful day. When you and I. Praise God. In English. And there's all kinds of other people around us. That we can't understand. Except for by the spirit. Praising God in their own languages. I want to say to us today. You and I. Are natural power builders. We're natural ladder climbers. And it's easy for us to get busy building our own kingdom and to get so busy doing that that we don't, we aren't about the work of building his kingdom. But what shall it profit you if you build a mighty tower that in your sight reaches to the heavens and you lose your soul in the process. Spend your life, spend your life letting God be your tower and trusting that he will do the things that he wants to do.